Hello and welcome to Rediscovering Childhood, a podcast that brings you lots of practical information to help you become a more conscious parent. This podcast is brought to you by Discovery Playtime, an Irish business that provides high-quality educational and sensory toys to help your children develop skills through play. Visit discoveryplaytime.ie or download the app to get inspired. Hello and welcome to episode 5. This is a continuation of the previous episode where we talk with Trina from Early Years Insights about early childhood education and share some parenting tips. In this second part, we will talk about the importance of communication between parents and teachers in early years settings. Trina will also share a few really good tips to help you support your child's transition into school. How do you think we can work best to help each other be better parents and educators? So kind of bridging the gap between, I suppose, oh, I'm in sitting here in the preschool, I'm the educator and I'm out here, I'm the parent. Whereas like you, obviously you are both. So how do you think we can kind of help each other stop the barrier? I have very specific thought about this and it's all to do with communication. When I did the, the early years degree and I was working you can't advise everybody that it's the best way to do it but because when you'd have your lessons and you'd go into that like you could immediately see what you could change and you'd go in and you could do it and you could practice it and one of the biggest things that I did when I was doing the the thesis at the end which of course most people know level eight thesis isn't as um, primary research based it's more you know it's all secondary research and you do a little bit of primary research. So I would love to do a bigger one um, if it ever came around. But my whole idea was that how ECC could be so much improved if parents were more aware of what it actually was um, and how it benefited their children. Because when the ECC was, came out as a funding as this three-hour free play school where you could bring your children, everybody was like, woohoo, fantastic. <laughs> bring your children there, they stay there. But nobody had any idea of what we were doing with the children in those three hours because obviously, because it was government funded, we had things we had to hit. It wasn't just bring them in and play games. Now, I know play-based learning for me is the biggest thing. So if they came in and just were playing games, that was fine because there would be an environment set up for them. I won't go off on a tangent down there, but it, it was always the communication. And what I found through the focus group and the research was that the parents themselves wanted the information. They wanted to know not only what their children were doing, like they loved the pictures and the little daily or weekly observations that went home, but they wanted to know why they were doing it. They wanted to know how we ended up doing that activity. And if we were able to tell them that, well, I didn't pluck that out of my head, but it came from this group of children over here who had an intense interest in firefighters. So we set up a water station and we set up, you know, a, a multiple different things around that. And if you could just tell parents why something was happening. Now, that's a basic example. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes on in preschool and in childcare settings. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons we do them. But if you could set up ways of communication and multiple ways that would suit everybody, because some parents are so busy, they don't have time to stop at a door. Um, you know, emails be best. Social media, some people choose to do it through. Myself as a parent, I've had various experiences in terms of communication with preschools, mostly positive. 
there are times I would have liked more communication around a couple of different things. Um, and in those cases, I would always encourage parents to ask. When parents come to me and they're like, you know, I don't really know what he's doing. You know, do you know what they do? And I was like, well, I can tell you a generalized version of what they might be doing. But obviously I don't work there, so I can't. It's like parents don't feel like they can ask. They're seeing they have this perception that they're going to be taken up as if they're interfering and that the the educators themselves might get defensive like they're being questioned. My whole thing about communication is if you set it up right at the start, then it means when those difficult conversations have to happen, you already have a relationship with that person. You shouldn't be waiting until something is wrong or something needs to be said to to have that um, conversation with a parent. Um, when we talk about the preschool bit in a while, um, that is one of my tips um, for parents. But when we are communicating properly with parents in a positive way and building that relationship with them, Everything else follows naturally from that. But it has to come from both sides. It can't all be one sided. So parents have to interact with whatever form of communication that is being given to them. And I think settings can be really proactive about finding out what kind of communication suits parents. So would they like an open evening at the start of the year where they come in and they find out all the general information see other parents that they can have another like, you know, a little conversation with them get to know some faces, get to know the practitioners because, you know, they could drop their child off with one practitioner and collect them from another. And then the next day there could be somebody else because somebody had to go on a break. Mm. You're not building up a consistent relationship. It was the one thing that I used to get in trouble for most um, because I always had great relationships with the parents I worked with. Um, I thought like just instinctively before I ever did the research or anything, instinctively knew because they're handing you their child. They want a little bit of information back. So I used to make sure that kind of on a weekly basis, I had at least a two or a three minute conversation with a parent about, you know, something they might have done that day, how they were getting on in general. And in one place I worked, I was I was pulled up on it. I was told I shouldn't be. I, I was spending too long at the door oh, no. talking to parents that other things needed to be happening. Now, I was aware like I and it was only ever two or three minutes, but I was all. I never left the kids on their own. I only ever did it when there was other practitioners in the room. I, You know, I was aware of the health and safety implications. I was aware of everything else going on. I was able to choose my moment. I'm, I'm a smart person. Like, I'm not oblivious to everything else that's going on. No, it wasn't a priority. I kind of ignored it because <laughs> I just... It's what parents wanted. Yeah. Parents absolutely loved that you would take that minute to tell them something about their child because the children aren't telling them. We yeah, all know this. Yeah. Children come saying, no, I did nothing all day, yeah. which is frustrating for all involved. But that's just the way they are. But it also meant that if I needed to talk to that parent about something that was a little bit more serious, it meant we already had a relationship yeah. and they yeah. weren't going, OK, you're telling me this. What's your name again? And yeah. when do you see my child? That we already had a relationship so that they could trust what I was saying, that they knew that I had an insight into their child, that they knew that I was doing this for the benefit of of everybody involved, but especially their child. And I wanted to work with them. Um, so it just it has just knock on effects through your whole day, through the whole year for parents 
and um, the educators if they can have proper systems of communication. But it means setting them up properly. It means having multiple ways in which you give this information. If you are really short on time as a practitioner, it means you create a wall mural with photographs of everything the children did that week. It's time intensive. I have done it for years. It takes an awful lot of time. But it is always worth doing. Then you've got the the books, the, the paperwork that goes home, whatever format you choose it. I could never understand why settings weren't sending home the kind of the monthly reports and the observations. They have to be done for inspection purposes. Now, that's not the only reason they should be done. They should be done because they benefit the child. You get an insight into what that child is doing. So you know where, where to go with them next. You know what activities interest them. You know where to guide them, how to set up the environment for them. It also means it meets the inspection criteria. I can never understand why, because we used to do it, where you just, you don't photocopy it and give it to the parent because mm. then that parent is getting into an insight into why you did that and where you're going to go next. You're putting all this work into yeah. it and you're not utilising it to its full extent yeah. in a way that will benefit everybody yeah. so much. It's nearly secret, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and and then part of me is kind of like, well, what? and they're like, oh, no, we couldn't possibly show that to the parents. And I'm like, well, then you're not filling it in, yeah. right? And yeah. most of them like, actually have at the bottom parent signature and parents' comments. Yeah. And they'll never get filled out because even if like that, I used to suggest it before being like, well, I've done the work. Those are, like, I'm proud of what I've done. They're yeah. like, no, that goes home at the end of the year. Aww. Like, that doesn't help at the end of the year yeah. when they're learning how to use the scissors for the first time here in November. Because yeah, it's such yeah. a powerful learning opportunity for parents to get to know their child yeah. in a different setting, in a different exactly. area and support that work that the teacher is doing also from home. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and to get to, to, to know what to do at home with their child as mm-hmm. well. Because as you said, you know, you take it for, a gra- for granted because it is what you do and it is your background. But that's why you do the workshops, because like same as I know about something and you know about something else and I don't know what about what you know, mm-hmm. we can exchange that information. So that's what that communication from teachers yeah. Yeah. should support. And actually, out of curiosity, you were mentioning how you did like the photograph walls and all of your paperwork and things like that. Were they done in your paid time or did you have to take them home in your own time? As the years went on, they were always done during my paid time. I would have been very bad at doing it. You know, you throw yourself into your job. You'd be taking home artwork and photocopying stuff and cutting it up and having it all perfect and ready for the next day during your free time. Increasingly, as it went on, I was able to fight for myself. Um, That you would do it. Now, it also helped that things like GDPR tightened up. Mm -hmm. When I think of the time somebody would take home like a bag of like, I'll finish these reports at home, which is such an innocent thing to do. Because you know they're going to be safely in your house. But at the same time, you're not supposed to take that information off site. It's supposed mm. to be all locked away, files, all that kind of stuff. The same with photographs. You shouldn't have the photographs. Now, increasingly, as time went on, I got much better at being like, if you want me to do this, then you put someone into the room to replace me because I can't supervise those children and also do this. Yeah. So yeah. I, I have no problem doing this work. But how I get it done is up to you. But that is really difficult to do. And I think you have to be a certain type of person, first of all. And I'm not confrontational at all. But as the years have gone on and you, you know, all those little incidents build up and you're like, I wish I had done that. The next time something comes up, you're like, well, this time I'm going to do it. And so it comes with experience. It's not easy to do. Um, And I think even even since becoming a parent, even though I haven't worked in it, I'm a little bit more ballsy I'm a bit no well no you can't actually say that to me or that's Mm. not the way this is going to happen I have less 
time and energy to spend on catering to other people and what they want. So I think I would very that came at the end of my job as well, that or the end of my working kind of in early years, I was able to be like, well, no, that's not going to happen that way if you want me to do it. I can come up with a couple of solutions, but you're going to have to give yeah. me something too. It's interesting that as early years educators, we have to learn to be so assertive mm. and we have to learn to be able to fight for ourselves and fight for naturally what should be done in class and what should be done in mm. our paid time. But we have to fight to get those benefit, diamond benefits. It's and, a right, really. And I think that's part of the problem what's wrong with the sector. If you had just put me in a room of preschool children or like whatever it was, and I was doing that job, you'd be flying. The problem is practitioners go into that room and they bring about half a dozen other problems with them that have nothing to do with how they actually work with those children. Everything to do with the structure of the setting itself, the structure of the system that's not letting the setting um, manage their staff properly, pay them properly, all those different issues. So it means then when you have to have a certain kind of resilience to be able to set that all aside to work with tiny children and not let that impact your job mm. or by default have some sort of impact on what those children experience in there. So that's the problem. If you if you're having so many other problems in the system, your staff become burnt out really, really quickly yeah. because it's it, and it's not the job that's burning them out. It's everything around them that they have to firefight to be yeah. able to do that job properly. Uh, I got a bit ranty no. there. I can confirm not a lot has changed since you've left the oh, system. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I think we could talk about early years education for a long time, but we need to acknowledge as well and parenting and uh, in the society how much we've learned and we've imp- mm-hmm. everything has improved in the last few years, but not forget that there's still a lot to do in the sector. Um but now moving to starting preschool, um what tips would you give or what makes this this transition easier or what can help parents support their transi- their children's transition into preschool in September? What advice could you give? Well, there's loads of things. Sometimes I think when we have children that are so small and of course you'll get everybody going, oh sure, look, in my day we just threw them in and that was fine. But that doesn't mean we have to keep doing it that way. I think the biggest thing that came was anecdotally a couple of years ago, people were very worried about their children transitioning into preschool after being at home during a very intense period. And I kind of went, well, there's, I can think off the top of my head, a half a dozen things we could do. Um, And that's where the idea came from. And it's kind of just gained traction each year that people still want that information. It's still a big step for a child because it is the first one they make outside of that family circle Mm -hmm. into a community circle. Um, And there's a lot going on there. I mean, they have to separate from the family a little bit, but they're also entering into a new environment where there's a lot more people, uh, children their own age, other adults, and there's a lot of expectation placed on them. Um, I will limit this to two or three tips. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing I would say in relation to the expectation, you are the person who knows your child best. So you will know how they deal with stress up until now, various little things that have happened. You know, do do they have a little bit of separation anxiety when you leave them with a babysitter or with a grandparent? And because if they do, that could be a clue that there could be a little bit of separate separation anxiety in September. At this stage, I would say for the people who might be in your child's life on a kind of a daily or weekly basis to make sure they don't keep asking your child about preschool. Because if you sense that they have a little bit of nervousness about it, that's only going to make it worse. It's Mm -hmm. not going to make it better. Even if they are excited about going to preschool, I would say tone it down because all of a sudden it becomes 
just, you know, this overwhelming sense of ex- um, excitement. And it's a long time. Like, I mean, eight to six to eight weeks in a, a two or three year old's life is a long time to have to wait. So it'll be this thing hanging over them all summer. So I would say read your child really carefully. If you don't know where your child is with them, kind of bring it up through a book, a little bit of small world play, something in which you can introduce the idea and see what their reaction is. If their re- reaction is quite neutral, you're good to go. You can just wait a little bit closer to the time to start to do the preparation stuff. Um, and if they are over excited or nervous it means then you can know that you have to put a few more things in place and maybe that's when you kind of go to the library get a couple of picture books for them think about what little small world games you can do or draw out kind of what their worries might be see what their reaction is like you could even do things like pretending to do the drop off with little figures in in the car and seeing what they do and if they go like oh no but you're going to come with me that will give you an idea that they don't understand yet that they're going to go into a room Little things like that can be so simple, but can take whatever's in their brain out of their brain without it being an overwhelming conversation in which they don't really understand what you're trying to say to them or what you're, you know, that you're trying to, it's it's too wordy for them. So doing it through play is how you're going to get inside their brain and also be able to then reassure them by playing through the little scenarios. Um, Another thing to prepare them, I would say, to not focus on the practical life skills. Um, I see a lot of people going, all right, well, they can't open their lunchbox. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to do their own shoes. They need to be able to do their coats. They learn all that in preschool. Um, If you think they might need one thing for a little element of confidence so that when they go into this environment, that they have something familiar that they can do themselves just to give themselves a boost of self-esteem, I would say start with the lunchbox. It sounds so simple. But it means then you can use it over the summertime. They can get really familiar with it, play to their strengths, know what they can already open and can't open and buy a similar lunchbox and let them use it. So, again, it's a familiar item that they can do and have a little bit of like, oh, she said, get the lunchbox. I know I can do that and get it. Everything else they will learn. That's part of what preschool is about. So all these life skills that, you know, you think, oh, well, they'll get on better if they know how to do that. Don't worry about that at all. So many tips going around my head. (laughs) The last tip I'll give is on the day. I suppose people's main worry will be what their child will do, how their child will react. Um, And I would say the biggest thing to do here is to trust, first of all, yourself that you've prepared your child as well as you can for it. And I don't mean just specifically for it, but in general terms of how you've parented them, how you have um, made them aware of themselves and in the world and that they will be able to do this and trust that you've done a good job doing that. Trust your child's ability to take on a challenge and work through it. You don't have to like see that they might have a little wobble and get straight in front of it. Allow them to know what that feels like and be like, oh, because they very often will kind of go, okay, well, everybody else is doing this. I Mm -hmm. can do it as well. So trust your child's ability to be able to assess the situation themselves and give them the time and the space to to figure it out. Don't micromanage the situation. And then also trust the practitioner because they're the ones who have done this year in, year out. And every year there will be children who will have a wobble, who will have a little bit of separation anxiety um, and they will have various strategies. If the practitioner is really good at their job, they will be able to communicate this to you in the moment. It always frustrates me again, back to the communication point, that I think this should be like a little intro pack for parents beforehand, letting them know that what what to expect, what to expect and how the practitioners might help you at the moment. Because the amount of times I was ever standing at a door with a child who was upset. Do I and leave? I'd be, do I stay? Do yeah. I hide? Do and I... the parent is doing their best and you're trying to 
honor that because again they know their child best they know how to comfort them and you're trying to take those cues but there's a certain point at which you kind of you step closer and you're like look I can help your child come into the room and just know that if because the majority of the time and you will know this the majority of the time it it's the separation anxiety that is making them upset as soon as they get into that room they want to do everything and they will do everything but that the practitioner will if something isn't going right within the first three or four minutes after the parent has left they will call you they like they're only second to the parent and wanting this to go really really well and they know that yes they can encourage the child to come into the room but they also are able to assess really quickly at which point it becomes detrimental to the child's Mm -hmm. ability to do this you're they're not ever going to leave your child upset. They're, they're not going to try and push them too much. So if it isn't going well, just know that that kind of that moment of separation kind of has to happen for your child to learn that you go away and you come back again and that the practitioner will have yours and the child's best interest at heart. Now, it's a really difficult thing to say because my logical practitioner head knows that this works 99% of the time. And when it doesn't, we put a different plan in place in which we go much more slowly for the child. That's the way it should be. My parent head knows how difficult this is. I had one child swan off into preschool when she was three years or barely three years old and didn't even give me a backward glance. And that's nearly worse <laughs> because parents are like, well, hang on a second, you should be wanting me. And, and love <laughs> Why are you not crying? <laughs> My second child was the complete opposite and it was absolutely horrible um, as the parent. And even though I knew I trusted the practitioners, yeah. they had had Quiva for two years. I trusted them. I knew they'd be amazing with them. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do. Oh. But yeah, it, is. it worked out well. Now, I also know that if I was able to read him well enough to know that after a couple of days, If that wasn't going well for him, we would have tried something different. Mm -hmm. I also know the practitioners would have stepped in and been like, right, well, this isn't, you know, there's no progress being made. It's like little steps and then all of a sudden off they shoot. Um, So on the day, if it's not going well, just trust yourself, trust your child, trust your practitioner and just know that between those three things over a certain amount of time, you'll get through the door and be prepared for the fact that they might not do that at all and leave you in their dust. (laughs) (laughs) And that's only more traumatising at the end of it. For the parent it is, yes. (laughs) Yeah. It'd be nice as well to have like a social group for the parents, a place Mm. where the parents could stay and have a coffee and instead of going home on your own Mm. and just like, you know, overthinking about what's going on in the classroom. I think that'd be even using one of the class or, or outside space or mm-hmm. something because they're only there for one or two hours I think on the first day yeah. and to get to know each other and have that connection yeah. and I that always, networking that'd yeah. be amazing I always tell parents as well to have something planned yeah um, so that you're not because it, it is strange yeah. especially like you know it's if, very it, if it's your first child yeah. and you, you have other children to look after but when it's when it's the last one the, all of a sudden this time is now, you, you learn how to fill it very quickly. Um, <laughs> but those first couple of weeks do feel yeah. a bit strange. So for that first day to, again, not forget yourself. Um, like there, there's nothing that will work well for your child if you don't give a certain percentage to looking after yourself no. for yourself's sake and then also for your children's sake. Um, I truly believe that now you can't do anything unless you look after yourself Absolutely. first. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think they're really great tips. And I would also add um, offer as many experiences. And that's, again, a long term um, preparation for preschool or school. But offer your child as many experiences as possible growing up. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they're going to go to the shop and buy a cupcake, give them to Euro and get the child to give the two Euro to the shop, to the shopkeeper mm-hmm. or to play groups and workshops and swimming and get them to talk to if they want something if they're gonna go to a restaurant and order food get the child to say i want sausages mm-hmm. as simple as that they'll be so much prepared to to deal with new situations and new environments yeah it's very true um and la- my very last question where do you see yourself in i would say five ten years i'm gonna go with two years two years i would like the the workshops um to, to have a regular schedule because at the moment with life being so crazy and that's the beauty about the business up until this point is that I have been able to pull yeah pull back from it when I need it and put it in in place when I could um, so to be more consistent but also to be doing more things like this I suppose like on panels talking to different people's audiences just increasing the way in which I can get the information out there because um, the kind of the combination of my experience as a practitioner and a parent I think really helps obviously when people say oh well you've only parented two children but it's the it's the empathy it's the understanding and the insight into things that have really changed my perspective it's not about the quantity because you can parent 50 children and still not do a good job (laughs) but it just has really changed my perspective as to what was valuable in in my early years education and experience um, and I think all of that coming together, I just I have so much information that I just know when I see parents struggling or have a wobble with something, I'm just like, no, you've got it. And you just tweak this or change that or, you know, what do you want to talk about? What it is that you're worried about is not actually something you should be worried about. So I would love to be kind of speaking on bigger platforms, doing workshops for other associations and and committees um, just to, I suppose, get it all out there um, and just increase the amount of people I can talk to. Brilliant. I think you are a natural. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's exactly where you should be. And we're so, so happy to have uh, had you here today. Thank you so much. Sharing all the information. Yeah, I absolutely love being able to listen to all the experience as well from an education background as well as a parental background Mm -hmm. as well. And kind of sometimes when the two of them kind of fight together and you have to try to get them to... Mm-hmm. go together Merge. a bit more yeah. yeah yeah no i love this i'll be buzzing for the rest of the day now after this <laughs> chat an actual adult conversation <laughs> brilliant thank you so much thank you for listening to this episode if you'd like to share your own story on our podcast please get in touch through our social media don't forget to like share and follow so you'll never miss out on upcoming episodes see you next time